Welcome to the Unconventional Path, Entrepreneurship and Innovation Stories and Ideas. Hello, I'm Bela Musitz, a former three-time entrepreneur, venture capitalist, and now the recently retired David D. Ray Professor of Innovation and Entrepreneurship at Clarkson University. And coming to you from Münster, Germany, I'm Mike Wasserman, Professor of International Management at the Münster University of Applied Sciences. First, thanks for joining us. Listeners, we really hope you enjoyed today's uh, podcast as much as we enjoyed creating it. Second, uh, we always get questions about why we're doing this. And I'd like to start off by just mentioning, A, we're not making any money on this. Um, but B, it really stems from a, a shared interest that Bela and I both have in learning from smart and interesting people. Uh, we're interested in figuring out how the world is changing. Uh, we're interested in how innovation and entrepreneurship are evolving. Uh, and we like to overlay our observations and compare them with the lessons that we've each learned over three plus decades as entrepreneurs, investors, managers, and professors. To do this, we've put together our network of interesting friends, former students, and business partners, along with some new people we've met more recently to bring you interesting stories, ideas, and insights into innovation, entrepreneurship, and the people that take unconventional paths to find happiness at work and in life. Hey, Mike. So this week, I spoke to Ravish Majitia. Uh, he's one of three co-founders and is the CEO of Magnomir. Uh, it's a company that's really interesting. Uh, they're working on helping to solve the plastics pollution problem. So it's one that's uh, certainly in the forefront of a lot of people's minds these days. And it's certainly a mission that's worthwhile uh, chasing after. Ravish has a PhD in materials from Texas A&M and an MBA from Babson College. And uh, here's yet another person that we've interviewed from Babson College. Uh, they're always number one in entrepreneurship, and uh, they must be doing something right because uh, they're certainly producing lots and lots of entrepreneurs. So uh, what was one of the things that uh, sort of struck you, Mike? Well, Bela, I love packaging. I've always loved packaging. And it's one of these things that you take for granted most of the time, right? It's You touch it every single day. Everything that you buy in a store is packaging, right? And it's just a, a big part of the experience that we have as consumers that we often don't put a lot of thought into. Um, so I thought this was a great topic. Uh, and I think that Ravish is a great person to talk through uh, his approach to this. And I think combines common sense and some business savvy and some technical savvy all in a really cool package. So I'm excited to share this interview that you did with our listeners. Yeah, I think it was a good one. So uh, let's dive right into it. Here we go, folks. Ravish. Hello, podcast listeners. Bela here today. Uh, we have an interesting guest today. I am uh, using uh, Google Hangouts here and I have Ravish Majita here with me today, and uh, he is an entrepreneur with an interesting background and uh, actually a PhD from Texas A&M and an MBA from Babson College. So uh, a great, great education, and um, he has an interesting story uh, with a new business and product that I think will help uh, potentially solve the big problem we have in the world with uh, plastic bottles uh, floating around in various different parts of the world, either in the oceans or on land. So welcome to the uh, podcast, Ravish. Uh, thanks for having me, Bela. Nice to be here. Oh, wonderful. So, uh, Ravish, can you tell us a little bit about uh, Magnomir and what the company is and does? 
Sure. Um, so we at Magnomer, we are essentially a a materials company um, looking at the problem of uh, packaging design. Um, so most of our packaging is designed for the learn- linear economy, wherein we we make, we use, and we discard. Uh, very little thought is put into the design of packaging uh, when it comes to either reuse or recycle uh, or the so-called circular economy. So we at Magnomer are designing packaging for the circular economy. Um, our innovation and the technology of, on which we are focused on are magnetizable inks, which become a design tool for packaging engineers and manufacturers so that packaging uh, can be recycled at higher yields and can alleviate some of the environmental externalities that we currently see facing our world. Oh, excellent. So why is uh, magnetic ink important in this uh, circular economy? Uh, sure. So uh, no, I, I'd like to use the example of plastic bottles, uh, not only because that's our first product, but also because it's a uh, it's a good example uh, or a good representative example, I should add, of what the problem with packaging is. So typically, most plastic beverage bottles are made of type 1 or PET plastic. Uh, but they have a label on top, and the label can be made from a variety of different types of plastics. Now, uh, it is that way from a, because of a design to manufacture. Those labels are slapped onto the bottle uh, and, and have a, a cost and a manufacturing design behind them of the way they are, are made. But they are not designed for recycling. Because they are different material altogether, they need to be separated away from the bottle during the recycle process. And that in and of itself is a very large problem, uh, a technical challenge that the recycling industry is not able to get over. So that's a design flaw in a package that we commonly use every day, uh, which is really leading to very low bottle-to-bottle recycling. Um, And that's where kind of our technology comes into play. Uh, At Magnomer, we are commercializing a novel magnetizable ink, which can be printed onto the label. And that means that the label can be simply magnetically separated away from the bottle, uh, leading to higher recyclability and helping uh, the bottle be more sustainable. Oh, okay. So uh, just so I understand, let me try to play back what you just said. One of the challenges in recycling these plastic bottles is the label. And because typically these plastic bottles uh, get ground up into little chunks and the label gets ground up in the little chunks and then it's very difficult to separate them out. So by putting a magnetic ink into the into the ink that's printed on the label, uh, you can pass these over a magnet and it will lift the label material out, which is a different material that's not very recyclable, and leave the rest of the material that is recyclable to continue down the conveyor. Did Absolutely. I- you, you, you got that spot on. Uh, labels are the number one contaminant in, in bottle recycling. You know, they account for almost 25% in yield losses, almost 10% in cost. And then they're the single largest component of the recycling cost. Uh, so by having a, a magnetizable ink which gets printed on the label, that in on itself becomes a design tool for packaging engineers to make something that's more sustainable. And the recyclers simply use current existing magnets that they have to pick out the labels and uh, make make our bottles more recyclable. So uh, I think what you just said was that the the recycling organizations or companies 
do not need to change anything in their process uh, to to do this. They already have magnets there, bringing out random chunks of metal and other things. So this will this will no no process change on the recycling side. Absolutely, magnets already exist and have existed in the recycling process for a number of years. Uh, they are, as you pointed out, they are there to remove metal contamination. These are small springs and bolts and whatnot. So. The same infrastructure that already exists currently in the industry is what we are making use of and asking ourselves the question, what can we do from a packaging design standpoint so that we can complement the currently existing infrastructure and our magnetizable ink printed on a label are effectively our change agent to do just that, complement the back end so that the front end becomes more sustainable. Right, right. So now let me try to understand how the dynamics of the industry if I'm a bottler and I'm I'm filling bottles with uh, soda, and uh, do I have any responsibility for recycling those bottles? Yes, uh, currently there are, uh, and we get we get asked this question all the time. So I'm glad you brought it up. Um, consumer brands, big consumer brands, are increasingly not only becoming aware, but putting together, putting steps in place to make sure that the packaging stays or becomes sustainable. And the reason that they're doing that are, um, are, are can be like classified in like three buckets. The first is we as consumers are becoming more aware uh, and that affects their bottom line. So when, when plastic gets a bad rep, you know, they, they, they hear what we are saying and they want to change. They want. They are not in the business of making packaging. They are in the business of selling us the, the ingredient, the soda or the water or whatever, right? So this becomes a, an element where, where for them innovation becomes key so that they can continue doing what they are doing. Um, and, and the second element of it is, is building more trust into their brands, right? Uh, a lot of these companies want to do it. It's not just about... Of course, it is about business sense, but they also want to make sure that uh, we do not destroy our planet in, in the interest of just pure growth. Now, everyone sees the piles of plastic garbage in the ocean, and we see an image of that in the news like every other day, it looks like these days. So I think all of us are kind of equally horrified by that. And consumer brands uh, are being responsible corporate citizens in changing that. Um, but I think the, the bigger uh, aspect of it also is, or the third aspect of it also is government regulation. You know, EU has currently passed a, uh, a single plastics use regulation, which requires recycled content uh, of 25% in bottles by 2025. So that 25 by 25 regulation, as it's called, uh, means that uh, it's in the interest of consumer brands to increase the overall viability of recycling plastic bottles because failing that they will not be able to put a product on the shelves. So it's a, it's a definitely a business risk for them that they are addressing right now. Yeah. So, so the EU and other parts of the world uh, seem to be much more aggressive in driving uh, and regulating and requiring uh, recycling than we are in the United States. So does that sort of mean you think your primary market's going to be in Europe uh, to start with? Uh, well, w- w- the EU is definitely uh, further along uh, in, in terms of regulation. That is true. Even countries like Australia are much further along. Uh, but then even within the U.S., there are states like California who have uh, have similar 
uh, bills currently under debate in the California state legislature, for example. So the regulation is oncoming in the U.S. as well. From a customer perspective, we we see definitely a slightly more uh, interest in in you know releasing these products or introducing them in the European market before in the American market is. Uh, but that's not to say that um, there is there is a lack of interest. It is just a slightly better incentive to do that in in the European market. Yeah. So uh, you know you you are an element in this uh, process chain of of getting a bottle of water to me. <laughs> Right. Uh, and so who is your customer? Who is the person that you sell your product to? Right. Uh, so uh, we think about our business model very similar to how toy companies think about theirs, you know, where uh, the person who is paying is the parent, but the person who is buying is the kid. Right. Um, and in, in, in our case, it's, it's kind of similar. It's a consumer brands who are demanding action and who are asking for innovation. Uh, but the person we generate our revenue from are label manufacturers and label printers. Um, but the costs are effectively transferred over to the consumer brand who ends up uh, bearing the cost for this. Uh, the the beauty about our innovation is is because of the nature of it, we are effectively similar to adding just another ink onto the label. So we are talking about a very small percentage of the packaging cost, but delivering a huge benefit to the brand. So uh, while, yes, there is a small added cost to it, it is not a. Um, it is well within the realm of what they anyway would do on their marketing side of things, and they are the ones who are the end customer and the end decision maker for us. Right, right. I can. I mean, I can certainly see a, a large consumer brand, whether it's uh, plastic bottles that pickles come in, or whether it's soda or water, uh, that one of those brands embracing this and using it as part of their marketing campaign and their sort of brand image that they're building, that they're being conscientious thoughtful recyclers. So talking about cost, uh, approximately how much does it add to, you know, however, however one measures uh, the cost of a label? Right. Uh, so approximately, uh, and again, going back to bottles, um, the, the cost we add is roughly about half a percentage of the total packaging cost. So uh, you know, bottles, uh, of course, uh, some of this does vary depending on label design and so on. But a typical bottle and along with the label costs about five cents. So you're talking about fractions of a cent uh, of added cost per bottle um, and delivering not just a sustainability value, but the marketing benefit that comes along with it. And I assume that it must save money for the recycler because it's making their process more efficient. Absolutely. It not only saves money for the recycler, it actually allows the recyclers to compete with uh, the virgin plastic in the market and allows the consumer brands to buy a recycled plastic at a lower cost. So it ends up actually saving money to the consumer brand too, because consumer brands currently are paying anywhere between 10 to 15 percent premiums for recycled plastic and just for the marketing benefit of that being on their brand. So that the cost of that reduces out. So in overall, this actually becomes a cost positive for both the recycler and the brand. Oh, very interesting. Well, cool. That was a sort of a great primer on sort of recycling plastics and all the various different elements of it. So let's take a step back. Uh, can you talk a little bit about, uh, you know, your upbringing and, and where you grew up and, and sort of uh, entrepreneurial uh the gene, your entrepreneurial gene and where it right. came from and, and how it got turned on. Absolutely. Um, 
so I, I, as you can probably tell from my accent, I grew up in India, uh, specifically in Mumbai. Um, so it's a very densely populated town on the western coast of India. Um, my gr- growing up, both my 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 mom's a teacher. Uh, she coaches uh, or teaches math and science for uh, middle school. And uh, my my dad himself worked in the pharma industry for a number of years. Um, uh, and was a regional manager. And then when I was in my teens, decided to switch to becoming an entrepreneur himself. So in my formative years, almost, if you will, I saw my dad almost bootstrapping um, from from a, being a manager in a decent-sized firm, you know, commanding a, a team of over 100 people to going back and just bootstrapping and having a small team of five people to take a product to market. Um, now that was in a very different industry, but some of the things that I saw at that very early age kind of stuck by me, and it just was a very interesting and an exhilarating journey that we as a family went through. Um, so I, I personally grew up. I always had a technical bend. As I said, my mom's a math and science teacher, so I became an engineer. Uh, I moved to the U.S. to get my PhD in material science from Texas A&M. Uh, but the the other person that really became instrumental in my overall formative years was my PhD advisor, who saw this entrepreneurial streak in me even as I was doing experiments in a lab, and and helped me get an entrepreneurship minor in in the Mays Business School at AM. So all of that kind of was uh, my training to become an entrepreneur. Um, I guess in many ways I was waiting for the right idea or the right. Uh, uh, thing that would really call me to, you know, to uh, quit my job and like really throw myself full time to uh, do a startup. And the idea behind Magnomer seemed just like the right time uh, when we started doing this back in 2016. Okay. And uh, so after you finished your PhD at uh, Texas A&M, what did you do after that, immediately after that? yeah, I, I actually went out and, and got a job. I was a R&D engineer for Intel uh, based out of their uh, fab in Hillsborough, Oregon. So um, as, as a part of my job, uh, it was, again, uh, you know, speaking to my technical training of being a material scientist, I was helping Intel develop its uh, you know uh, advanced manufacturing node for its uh, new processor chipsets um, in, the, in their lithography division. So, uh, so I did that for a number of years. In 2016 is kind of when the idea or the inspiration for using uh, a magnetic functionality on packaging as a way to design them better came about. Um, so I started dabbling in it in early 2016. Um, I, I used um, uh, that as an excuse to apply to business schools um, and uh, for, was fortunate enough to get into Babson College uh, uh, so I joined Babson as an MBA candidate in 2017. Uh, and while I was an MBA candidate, started to talk to people to see if this could go from an idea to a business. Uh, through that, I met my co-founders. And you know, two years down the line here, we are with me being, now that I've already graduated with my MBA, me being full-time on Magnomore and pushing this technology out to the market. Yeah. So uh, you, you left Intel and went back uh, to school full-time at Babson? Yes, I did. Um, it was a very uh, awkward career move to, to say, uh, but uh, I was in good company in Babson. Um, there were a lot of 
there were a lot of people in a lot of students in my cohort who came from you know either either strong technical backgrounds or very strong business backgrounds who were looking to take that next step in their career so i was in good company um and that that atmosphere and that uh, overall camaraderie in on the bastion campus really helped uh, me you know stay focused on what i needed to do Yes. Yeah. For, for our listeners, uh, Babson is, is located near Boston in the United States, and uh, it is always ranked number one in entrepreneurship. Uh, That's right. It, it is the place to go uh, for entrepreneurship. And uh, I actually taught there for a number of years in their Fast Track MBA, which is their two-year uh, part-time uh, MBA program. Uh, that's done a combination of distance learning and uh, face-to-face learning. So uh, it is a marvelous place and a wonderful place uh, for sure. And um, that was excellent. So I wanted to uh, go back a little bit to sort of where the inspiration for this idea of Magnetic Inc. came from. You know, were you taking a shower one day and you had the idea? Or, you know, I always like to explore that a little bit. Uh, so something, something very close to that. I was on, I was actually on a flight, um, and you know, flights. Um, I, I, I think people have very mixed feelings when they are in an economy cabin in a flight, and you know, to me, it always seems so amazing that they try to reduce every ounce of weight that they can bring on board. You know, to the point that um, I'm surprised they don't weigh people before they hop on board these days. Uh, but they were using something extremely primitive, i.e., a plastic cutlery, uh, on the flight uh, during the food service uh, portion of the flight. So it, it kind of struck me. And 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 bear in mind, I was already in a in an atmosphere in a in a place. In, I was living in Portland, Oregon, so a very environmentally conscious place. Right. Um, the the idea of recycling packaging and something was something that I was already researching in the background. Uh, like, you know, why is this such a big problem? Why are plastic bags such a big problem? Because as a material scientist, that never really made any sense to me because the plastic in on itself is a recyclable material. So so as I was sitting on that flight uh, and I and I see this plastic fork that they give me uh, to, uh, you know, to finish my meal, I was like, you know, you know they, if, if only this, this could be something I could recycle on board. You know, they wouldn't have to throw this away so much and they would probably reduce a little bit of weight there. Um, or, you know, and, and that kind of, I, I don't know what exactly was it, but the idea of using a magnetic label at that moment kind of really struck me as a very cool thing to do. Um, and uh, the, more I, the more I talked to people about it, the more it started to seem to make sense, especially because... Magnetic separation is already used in the recycling industry as ways to separate out other elements. Um, so, you know, why not plastic? Why not Why not do that? Why not design a plastic package uh, so that it can be separated out? So that's how it crystallized. I know it kind of sounds extremely um, uh, you know, naive the way I was thinking about it back then, but Honestly, that that's really how it came about. So, what did, was there a uh, innate understanding you had of recycling and uh, and the process for recycling? Was that part of your PhD or your education, or did you just sort of self learn that that? Uh, the 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 process of recycling was something that I did teach myself. Um, I did have an understanding of the uh, the problems uh, that that 
uh, packaging goes through uh, even before I started, you know, teaching myself the nitty gritties of the industry. And those problems are, again, a combination of, you know, just having that technical training and, you know, knowing that this item or this bag is recyclable, but it's not being recycled was the one that drove that knowledge. You know, uh, and everywhere you look, it's, it's actually not that difficult to find out, even if you spend like 20 minutes online, to see that it is a sorting of these materials that is the real problem. Um, so it's, it was kind of like, you know, two and two making 22 for me at that point of time. Yes, yes. So uh, let's talk a little bit about, I mean, you've, you've spent a lot of time uh, in, in, in the education system, both in getting yes. your PhD and then uh, another two years, was it, at Babson to get your MBA? Yeah, that's right. Um, so talk to me a little bit about your sort of motivation and thoughts about why you went back to get your MBA. You know, being a professor who, who teaches in an MBA program, uh, I'm always interested in hearing students sort of uh, thought process to say, okay, I'm going to make this investment of time. And, and in, in your case, there's a significant opportunity cost there. Uh, because you're foregoing, you know, two years of employment at Intel. So uh, talk to me about how you sort of thought about that. So so to me, to me, it always came down to what I wanted to do with my life. Um, and uh, I, I, I did enjoy my job at Intel. There's, there's no doubt about that. I spent four very good years learning a lot of things that I otherwise would not have. Um, but what, what ended up happening is um, I... I had this entrepreneurial switch in the back of my mind. And this idea seemed very fascinating. The idea of you know, designing packaging with a magnetic element to it seemed very fascinating. Uh, as I said, I, um, I, I strongly believe in, in, the, in the, uh, you know, the process of affordable loss. So uh, in, in the process of evaluating on how I would go about doing this, I looked at MBA as a, as a fail-safe almost. Uh, in that, that if my uh, entrepreneurial endeavors do not do not work out, um, I would have a degree to fall back on that would help me get back into the job market. Uh, honestly, it was just me being, you know, de-risking my my time investment in Magnover. Um, of course, now that I've graduated and it's been more than a year since I've graduated and I'm still working on it, which is, you know, it's always fortunate and I'm able to do what I wanted to to, to begin with. Uh, but for me, the MBA was that failsafe. And the reason I chose Babson College was not just his reputation of being, being um, you know, helping entrepreneurship and innovation, but also the kind of ecos- the, the ecosystem that I saw there. Really, I, I saw that as a way, as a support system for the company itself, where I could go potentially find co-founders or I could find, you know, investors and so on. Right. So that's... Um, that's that was my reason to pick Babson College and pick an MBA, the two-year MBA program. Yeah, excellent. So, talk a little bit about your co- co-founders. Uh, what are their skill sets, and and how did you guys meet and get connected? Uh, so, uh, uh, one of my co-founders is is Vishal Salian. He is a PhD in uh, polymer science. Um, he and I went to college together in Mumbai, and um, we we have known each other for a number of years. Um, and when I, when I got into Babson and I started doing this, he, uh, we, we were chatting about it and he got interested. So, um, his skill sets were complementary to what I needed at the time. Um, and also his, uh, overall uh, ability to take, 
take the idea from you know this initial iterations from like very simple mvps to you know more high fidelity prototypes was very helpful in its early days um i was able to convince him to hop on full time about a year and a half ago um and my second co-founder kumaral is an ink expert he's someone that we seeked out someone that we found after we were looking for the the correct ink expert in the industry uh because neither me or um or vishal have we both have materials and polymer expertise between the two of us but do not have a industrial uh, manufacturing and an ink expertise so that is how we met our third co-founder okay uh hang on just a second here my my phone is ringing and it's somehow ringing in through my Skype or my Hangout account because everything's linked in Google and it's driving me nuts. <laughs> uh, okay, so that has stopped and I can't I just got a new phone like a, 2 weeks ago and I'm I'm still learning how to turn things on and off and silence things. <laughs> yeah, notifications, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. No yeah, notifications have just turned out to be a big pain in the you know what. Yeah. Uh, so well, that's great. And so between the three of you, sort of how do you divide up the responsibilities? Sure. So um, Kumaril, Kumaril is our resident ink expert. Uh, he is the one who helps us with the manufacturing and, and uh, you know, the product development from an ink standpoint of where the functionality, the magnetic functionality needs to be and so on. Um, uh, Vishal is, is, our, uh, is our COO and a... Uh, and uh, become an operation expert. So he's the one who marries the the technical and the magnetic capability on the ink side to what it needs to be as it translates onto a specific packaging. So uh, in in our product toolset, we currently have inks for uh, PET bottles, inks for HDPE bottles, uh, inks for aluminum cans. Um, so so those you know uh, that's kind of operations and handling. Uh, the uh, the the translation of the technology onto packaging what what Bushal does, and I uh, even though I have a technical bend and have had a technical bend for a number of years, I have transitioned into a more of a business development and a marketing role within Magnomer. So I lead the company as CEO, and my primary role is to interface with customers, um, help them uh, work through our pilots, uh, you know, and uh, work with uh, not just um, you know, making sure that the product is is uh, performing the way it should be, but also understanding what the next steps should be, and kind of feeding things back to uh, the my other members of my team. Yes. So, uh, is your product uh, uh, an ink, or is it an ingredient that you sell to the ink manufacturer today that they then incorporate into their ink? Uh, no. So we uh, we have uh, kind of integrated ourselves to do the ink. Uh, and on itself, so the product itself is a magnetizable ink. Of course, there are variations uh, uh, with the different uh, use cases and how, and how it gets uh, translated onto the package itself. Uh, but the product, it's an ink which integrates in the printing of uh, any packaging or any label. I see. Um, so depending on what the product is, uh, we uh, ourselves uh, are become a plug and play product into the printing process. Oh, excellent. Uh- so this sounds like one of those types of businesses where it might take a while to ramp up because, uh, as as you said, you know, people want to qualify the paint, make sure it works, make sure it has shelf life and all those types of things that, that they worry about. 
because changing an ink or adding something to a, an ink or a paint is sort of a big decision. Uh, so uh, how have you guys funded the business? Uh, that's a great question. So we, as you pointed out, we have very long sales cycles. Um, and uh, that that in an effect means that we have to raise money. We have been very fortunate in not having to raise very vast amounts of money uh, because uh, of, uh, you know, the value proposition that people see in us. So we have been uh, customer funded. We have gotten revenue from customers even for, you know, you know prototyping and piloting. Uh, on what could become an eventual product, we have gotten. Um, we have been successful, uh, reasonably successful, in getting uh, non-equity grants. So, you know, shout out to Match Challenge. We were one of Match Challenge winners. Um, for those of uh, your listeners who don't know, Match Challenge is a is a high impact accelerator based in uh, Boston, uh, and uh, uh, they they gave us a grant to uh, do what we are doing. We also got a grant from Babson College. Uh, uh, we won Babson's uh, annual business plan competition, which allowed us to, you know, keep pushing forward. So it's been a combination of grants and revenue that has uh, kept us afloat. Yeah, yeah. Uh, grants are often a, a, a wonderful, wonderful way of getting, you know, your feet off the ground because uh, it's it's non-dilutable. It doesn't cost you any equity in most Absolutely. cases. And uh, it's, uh, they probably don't want me to say this, but it's, as close to free money as you can get, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, it, no, it definitely it it, it I, the way we look at it is uh, it not only helps us uh, from financial standpoint, but also validates our business model. Sure, uh, from very um, you know uh, unbiased uh, neutral stakeholders. So we through the process of grants, even the ones that we have not won, we've gotten uh, we've made our business plan better and and more robust from the feedback that we would see. That's right. Uh, having said all of that, um, we we are now in the middle of raising our, our seed round. So, you know, uh, there's only so much that grants and um, can help out. So, yes, uh, we are, of course, as we grow our business, uh, we are we are raising our first investment round. Oh, great. So you're you're looking at a, a an angel round or a VCs or sort of what do you think? Yeah, of? we are. Uh, yeah. So we are we are raising. We are not raising uh, a very large round. We are raising about 750K. So we are looking at uh, you know, large angel groups or, or small VCs. Uh, often family offices want to engage with us. So those are the kind of the type of investors that we are currently pitching. to. Yeah. Excellent. And uh, remind me where you are geographically. Uh, so we are based, we are headquartered in Boston. Uh, we have uh, uh, we have testing facilities in Mumbai as well. Yes. So you know clearly there are you're you're in a sector uh, where there are uh, sources of financing that uh, that are focused on environmental challenges and recycling and stuff. So it's it's always good to be in a sector where where you sort of had this not just a financial return but you have this sort of double mission. Or, or double double return that you can generate. So that's a great place to be. Absolutely. I mean, there are there are a number of organizations who have realized that, you know, uh, packaging uh, and specifically plastic packaging is becoming a big problem. Um, and, you know, the term circular economy, even even when I was uh, in like 2016, when, when I first heard of it, it wasn't something that most people knew, but today when I talk to people about circular economy, I don't really have to explain what that means. But um, so it's even in the last three years, it has changed a lot. So there's uh, consumer awareness, which is leading to, uh, you know, investment in the sector, which is always good for a startup like us. Yeah, 
Yeah, excellent. Uh, as as you uh, sort of think about, uh, oh, here's the question I wanted to ask you. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, one of the things that that students often struggle with uh, is after I graduate, whether it be an MBA or whether it be my bachelor's degree or master's degree or PhD, and they're interested in entrepreneurship. Uh, oftentimes, students struggle with: Should I start a business right away? Or should I go work for a larger company? And you went to work for Intel. You spent some time there. Uh, and then you went out on your own. So can you talk a little bit about your thoughts on that? Yeah. Uh, I've, I've uh, you know, I mean, as, as you pointed out, I've, I've deliberated that decision a fair amount. Uh, for me, the, the reason to quit the job became um, my inherent uh, belief in this uh, technology and the idea of working and actually making creating change. So I wanted to work in an area which uh, I, I could easily spend 16 hours, 18 hours a day working on and still not be exhausted. Um, so for me, Magnomer became became that that obsession, if you will. Uh, that that being said, you know, there's always the concept of affordable loss. So every time um, we in in our in in our uh, in our company, we, we've always had quarterly planning. So, you know, where do we need to reach and what do we need to do in order to reach there? Uh, and if we do not, what is our affordable loss, right? So I've, I've used that dictum uh, personally and and in our business where we, we make a certain amount of investment being time or money. And if we don't get to that particular milestone, we either look in a different direction, we pivot, or we, um, you know, call it what it is and say that okay, this is not working. Um, so we, and that's kind of what. So when I graduated out of Babson, for example, you know, um, I had a, a six-month plan in front of me that this is what I need to uh, be at the end of 2018, which is which would be six months after I graduated. Um, and because we hit those milestones, I was able to give myself one other year. That okay, this is where Magnum needs to be by the end of 2019, and kind of that's the phase that we are in. Yeah, so uh, you laid out a a very thoughtful, almost toll gate like process of I got to get to here, and if I get to here, then I'll keep going. But if I'm Absolutely. if I don't get there, then I need to reevaluate. I still may decide to keep going, but at exactly. least but at least I need to reevaluate um, what what I'm doing. And and we we pivoted. So as you can imagine, uh, this this uh, coatings or the ink technology can be applied to a variety of plastic packaging, right? In fact, uh, uh, the labels on bottles is a third use case, uh, with our first two being uh, plastic bottle caps and plastic cutlery, uh, which uh, are still items uh, are products in our kitty, but we found a lesser customer traction for. Uh, so so we were able to pivot. Uh, because we had those milestones in place that, hey, if we don't get a customer by time X, you know, we maybe want to look at, start looking at some of these other use cases. And kind of that's where, um, you know, that was the impetus to, uh, you know, keep, uh, keep moving. Yeah. Uh, if a, if a uh, student came to you who's, you know, going to be graduating uh, in June, let's say, a year from now or, or, or this December, whenever, uh, and they said they had an interest in, in entrepreneurism and they want to be an entrepreneur, but they're not quite sure if they have a good idea yet. Uh, and they're evaluating whether to go work in a you know Fortune 500 company or maybe join a relatively young startup or maybe just kind of work on their idea a little more and develop it further. 
Uh, what, right. what sort of advice would you give them? <laughs> go, go to Baptist. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, uh, that's, that's, I, I, I think at, at, at uh, I mean, I myself definitely went through that stage where, you know, there's an, there's an idea on paper and I did not know if it was developed enough to, in order for me to, you know, jump on it and, and things like that. So, uh, I, I think the only advice I would give that person is, you know, you know, look at what your personal finances are. See whether you can give yourself, you know, X number of months to keep doing uh, or keep um, evaluating your idea. Talk to as many people as you can. Um, I have, I have always, um, you know, I, I did not do this to begin with, but I've been continually surprised of how helpful people are. In, in helping a young startup or helping someone who wants to, you know, affect change in a certain direction. So, you know, even even if uh, that person may not have the direct connection, you know, they may lead you to someone who may be the right person to talk to. So, you know, I would say talk to as many people as you can about the idea to flush it out. Uh, find yourself what your affordable loss is and, yeah, go to Baptist College. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I... I... I get the impression, and, and maybe you can help me clarify this a little bit better, that that you sort of had this idea when you went to Babson, and yes. during that process at Babson, you were able to flush this out a little bit more, and, and I should, flush is a bad word, to refine the idea a little right. bit more and, and come out of that two-year process at Babson, not only get, gaining a whole new set of skills with entrepreneurship and business, but also... Uh, feeling much stronger and better about your your idea here. Absolutely, I, I wrote my first fifteen page business plan as a part of a class uh, in Babson College in Dr. Andrew Corbett's class, um, and uh, yeah, I, I I did I, I I've kind of uh, practiced what I am preaching right now, where I spoke to as many people as I can. I spoke to the local uh, primary sort stations uh, in Wellesley, Massachusetts, where Babson College is. Um, I spoke to, you know, uh, some of the smaller consumer brands who are, you know, just starting out. So they were clearly not going to be my first customers to kind of understand what their packaging choices were. Um, and I and I went to conferences to just sit and, you know, listen in uh, to, to understand what are the problems some of the industry leaders are talking about. Right. So those are the kind of things that helped me, you know, uh, refine that plan a little more. Uh, understand what the specific pain point is and what I need to do when it comes to messaging to my customer. Uh, so, yeah, and all of those techniques, if you will, was something that uh, I, I picked up uh, because, um, you know, there, of course there was an intent to move move in that direction, but also I al- always had this, uh, you know, running barometer that this is where I need to be in the next six weeks and I need to talk to 10 people and figure out these five questions, you know? So those, those were the kind of uh, tools that I used. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Uh, you've been a, a, a fabulous guest. Uh, we're, we're approaching uh, over 40 minutes here. And uh, <laughs> so it's been a, a wonderful, wonderful conversation. I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, Ravish, is there anything that I didn't ask you that I, that I should have or, or something that you'd like to add? Uh no, I mean, I I think we covered covered a fair amount of ground. I mean, um, you know, one of one of the one of the things that I always always like to uh, you know uh, tell people is you know if packaging in on itself is such a 
um, it almost gives uh, there's a visceral reaction to what is happening currently in the world. So you know, I am always Magnum as a company. We are always open to feedback and advice and suggestions. So if there are investors or you know stakeholders, recyclers, consumer brands out there who may want to talk to us, you know, we are we are all ears and open to chat to them. So. Yeah. Yeah, certainly I will put uh, links uh, in, in your web, company website into the show notes here so people will be able to uh, reach out to you and uh, get more information. You guys have a, had a great video there that I watched uh, yeah. about sort of the recycling uh, piece, so that was very helpful. Uh, so again, thank you very much, uh, Ravish, for being a guest on the podcast and uh, wish you the best and uh, thanks again and have a great day. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Hey, Mike, uh, I really enjoyed that conversation I had with Ravish. Uh, he was really a smart guy, very thoughtful, and uh, you know, also understanding, he understood that in order to be a successful entrepreneur, he needs to hone some of his entrepreneurial skills. And even though he took entrepreneurship as a minor at Texas A&M, uh, he decided to uh, go back to Babson and uh, get an MBA and focus on entrepreneurship. And this was sort of one of his projects when he was there. His company, uh, this making these magnetized in- printing inks, uh, kind of had its birth uh, at Babson. So I think uh, it was really kind of interesting, his approach in sort of understanding what some of the deep dive problems are in recycling plastic, right? I mean, everyone thinks, okay, plastic recycling, yeah, you just put it in the recycling bin and everything's done. Well, there's all sorts of sort of downstream issues and challenges uh, that make, as I learned, uh, make recycling plastic uh, a challenge and actually make using recycled plastics, putting them back into the, the stream, in other words, reusing them, actually more expensive than using virgin plastic material. Uh, so I think he's sort of diving into that. Uh, and I thought that was really interesting. What were some of the things that uh, stood out for you, Mike? Yeah, I mean, like a good engineer, you know, he really took kind of a Six Sigma approach and really worked backwards from this problem, this gap uh, between what we want to be recycling and what we're actually recycling. And uh, and I think that is a, a huge um, a huge blind spot in the in the the, the life cycle um, of packaging. So yeah, so I just love the fact that he got it down to the labels were a big problem and figuring out a way to print directly on uh, plastic that doesn't add to the waste stream. Uh, so what a cool idea, uh, cool solution, great example of diving down and really understanding the root causes um, of a problem and coming up with a solution that's both feasible, technically feasible, um, and also cost efficient and attractive. Um, so, so this is cool. And I really like the level of detail, um, that, that he talked about this, you know, sometimes we talk, we've talked with entrepreneurs and they're big picture people and they're, they're idea people and they're, they're, um, creating this vision. Right. And, um, Ravish had this, but he also had obviously a ton of command over the little, every little detail of this business. So I thought that was really, uh, really cool. He talked a lot about the importance of the ecosystem that he gained through Babson, through, through the university, and how this ecosystem was his support network through the process of growing this business. And, you know, it's another example of a, a, the role of a university. We've talked to, to consultants. We've talked to coaches. Um, we've talked to community leaders. We've talked to all these different ways that people 
um, uh, develop as entrepreneurs. And this is a kind of a classic example of the university as the ecosystem. So I thought that was really cool in terms of his understanding and leveraging um, and giving back to that to that ecosystem. Yeah, it really just it really does speak to the fact that these ecosystems, whether they be part of a university or whether they be part of the region that you're you you live in, uh, and and uh, you know the, your other entrepreneurial community members, uh, these ecosystems are really really important uh, because in this community of people trying to start businesses and grow businesses. There is this, and I know we talked about this in another podcast, there is this sort of community that comes together and people reach out and help each other. And uh, I think that's a good point for folks to kind of ponder as they think about starting their business. You know, I think in some businesses, location matters less than in other businesses. And you want to think that through as you as you think about a business you're growing or starting um, you want to make sure you don't put yourself at a disadvantage um, because of where you're located. Now, you know, I want to be careful when I say that because there's all sorts of folks who say, well, you know, the town I live in is perfect and great. And, and that's wonderful. And, and I'm not trying to be negative at all here. But, you know, the analogy I draw is if you want to be a country musician, if you want to start your career or build your career, you fundamentally have to go to Nashville, <laughs> Because that is the epicenter of country music, uh, I think, fundamentally throughout the world. So um, it's going to be very difficult to build your career someplace else. So in some industries, that's really important. In other industries, it's less so. But in any of these cases, all of these regions of the country have these entrepreneurial communities uh, that can help you and uh, you can contribute to them. They can contribute back to you. And I think it's a really important aspect of growing a business. But Bela, let's look at this from another perspective, okay? So if I want to be a country music star, um, I can now make really good music from my laptop, in my bathrobe, right? In my apartment, okay? So I think that, yeah, ultimately I need to be able to connect with people in Nashville, Right. But a lot of what used to happen, the studio work, right, and the live shows and all these things, the way the music industry is transformed, a lot of this can be done digitally. So I think that we're in this phase where technology can substitute and can even be leveraged to be better than location in certain aspects of the process. Um, same with this. You know, if I take an online MBA, right, which is obviously increasingly um, increasingly popular throughout the at least the U.S., um, I need to be able to keep that network leveraged and use that network digitally um, because I might not be in the same location. So, you know, I think that there's a real cool challenge. And I think that, you know, again, we've talked before about how some people are able to manage in the digital world and some people are less adept at it. Um, But it's really this idea of, hey, if I need to be in contact with people, I need to be in the right location. But I think if you're if you don't need to be in the right place, there may be some ways digitally if, that if you're savvy that you can make up for that, or even do some things that are that improve it, that are that are better, where you have more access to a wider range of resources than if you were in a, a, a location. So I think there's two ways. I, I don't disagree with what you're saying at all, um, but I think there's a couple different ways to look at it, and the world's changing around us pretty rapidly. Yeah, you're right, Mike, and 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 I think that the point here is that you have to have that network and you have to have that community, mm-hmm. whether yep. it's face-to-face or whether it's digital, 
uh, or distance, whatever descriptors you want to use, you have to have it. So the challenge or a here, hybrid, right? Yeah, could be a challenge. Hybrid, yeah, right? could be hybrid. It, the embodiment of it is 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 not the important part. It's actually having that that community, and I think that's the key here. So wherever you are, you gotta figure out how to be engaged with the community that's important to you and your business. That's the yeah, key. It's identifying these people and figuring out how you're going to connect with them right. in person or online, right? It's like, what's my roadmap? Yeah? That's right. That's the real important thing. Uh, you know, there's one other thing that sort of struck me about this business. Uh, you know, I, I sort of thought about it in context or in comparison to ThinkBoard, which was uh, Hanson Grant, who was a couple of episodes ago. And uh, he had a relatively, uh, I'll use the word simple product. Uh, that he can sell direct to end users. And uh, here with uh, Ravish's product, he's selling ink that he sells to the label manufacturer who sells the labels to the plastic bottle company who then sells those to whoever puts whatever sauce or soda or whatever into the plastic bottle, who then sells it to the consumer who then recycles it, and then it's the recycler who gets the benefit. So it's a long chain here. Uh, my point is that the person who gets the biggest benefit is not, in this case, the decision maker to who actually decides which ink they're going to buy to print on the label. So it's it's one of these businesses that has a lot of subtleties, and the food chain sort of is really long. And I think those those businesses are uh, challenging in that I think sometimes they're difficult to break into, but once you're in, it's also very sticky. In other words, it's hard to get displaced, right? Because the guy who's printing the labels probably has an ink supplier and he's been using an ink supplier for a while and he knows the ink works. He knows he doesn't, you know, he's got good production, good reliability, et cetera. So for him to change ink suppliers is a pretty big risk. So it's going to take a while to convince him to change ink. And he's not the one that's getting the big benefit out of it. It's going to be the recycler. Or as we sort of discussed in the in the interview, this is an opportunity for the 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 brands that fill the bottles, uh, whether it be Heinz Ketchup or Coca-Cola, to take an active marketing approach and say, hey, our labels on our bottles are are environmentally friendly and can be much easily, much more easily recycled. So I think it's got an in- this industry has this interesting dynamic, uh, which I'm not sure we've seen before in any of our other uh, podcast guests. Bela, he's not printing on the labels, though. He's printing directly on the bottles, no, isn't he? No, no, He's printing on the labels. It's on the labels? Yeah, yeah. Okay. He's printing on labels. Right. Okay. Because there was but a... There are, but you can print on the same type of labels. The material is the same as the bottle? No, I thought the, the whole point was that the label wasn't recyclable. That's right. So he's printing on the label with magnetic ink. So that yeah. when they grind up the bottle that yeah. has the label on it, they can use ah, a the magnet label lifts off. Got to it. lift the label off. Okay. That was Got my it. understanding. 
Yeah. No, you're right. right. No, this is a good point. So we should we shouldn't edit this out. This conversation. We should leave it in <laughs> the podcast. We can leave it in. I don't mind embarrassing myself. Yeah, in front no, of it's an not embarrassing. International audience. I'm good at it. Yeah, it's not yeah, embarrassing. No, that made sense. All right. I was thinking it was the opposite. Okay. Refocus now. Um, the the uh, another interesting thing. Yeah. That I thought was how easily he could recite what he learned in his MBA. I thought it was pretty cool that he took all these different approaches. Oh, yeah, we had customer focus. I did team building, implemented a strategy. I mean, this guy was textbook, right? Right out of his his master's program um, at Babson. So I thought that was really cool. It's a, the value of combining an engineering mindset with an entrepreneurial business mindset. It's not all that common, right? I mean, you did this, right? And we know a lot of people that have done this through our shared experiences, Um but it's a it's actually a tough combination, right? And he this is an example of somebody who really has the engineering mindset and an innovator's mindset and has wrapped it in into one really nice package. Yeah. Yeah. No, he was quite the guy. And uh I, I wish him a great success. And and whether whether this company makes it or not, uh who knows? But I know that he as an individual will be a very successful entrepreneur. Yep. Cool solution, cool person. Yeah. Wrap it up, Mike. All what right. do you think? Wrap it up. So listeners, thanks. We're happy that you joined us once again this week uh, for yet another adventure. Uh, We hope that you found this interesting and thought-provoking, as obviously we did. Uh, And as usual, we have a couple of small requests. First is, you know, we are always happy to hear from listeners. Uh, We encourage you, uh, mentally incentivizing you even, to uh, let us know if you have questions about what we discussed today, if you have suggestions about topics or some potential guests that we might want to interview in the near future, uh, please do get in touch with us. Our email is bela.and.mike at gmail.com. And second, if you like what we're doing, please hit like or subscribe on your podcast app. Uh, and if you really uh, want to go above and beyond for us, uh, we would be eternally grateful if you wrote a short review on your favorite podcasting platform. And then, of course, if you know other people that might find us interesting, please share us with them. All right. So that's it for this week. Uh, thank you for spending time with us. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode. Signing off from uh, upstate New York. See you later. This is Bela. Th- thanks, Bela. Sounds great. Uh, And that's it from over here on the other side of the Atlantic in Münster, Germany. Have a great week, Bela, and everybody will talk to you in a week or so. This podcast is produced for Mike and I by our friends at Busy Media of Schenectady, New York. They can be found at busymedia.co.